Welcome to 353rd. I'm Anders Brownworth. I'm Scott Barstow. What's going on, Scott? I am sitting here in Raleigh as I frequently am. Actually, as I always you am. You always are. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We we had talked this week about me doing it from the doing it from the road. But yeah, we, we need to do a broadcast from the road at some point. Yeah, it's I think so. Just I for the novelty, if nothing else. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that while I'm traveling this week. Yeah. We'll just record two, twice this week since we missed last week. I think that's a good idea. So it's been a, it's been an interesting week. And actually, it's been an interesting couple of weeks since we recorded the Republic Wireless uh, podcast. Yes, it has. We've gotten some and, responses. Yeah, and we've gotten some interesting viewer mail yep. or listener mail in this case. Uh, and and so I thought it'd be good to, or actually, you thought it'd be good to talk about uh, one email in particular. Yeah. So the point was brought up by Dave Wright. He he generally uh, agreed with some of the things we were saying uh, around how the desk phone is dead and and stuff like that but uh also wondered about the uh, you know why isn't a mobile the front end to a cloud-based voip service and i i gotta say he's he's absolutely right uh that's that's what we're we're going for a little bit of background here so that bandwidth.com has a product called phone booth uh, which is a SMB cloud-based, uh, uh, you know, basically a hosted PBX. Yeah, and, he, and in the interest of full disclosure, as most of you know, Anders does work at bandwidth.com. I do, and I made phone. I made PhoneBooth. Uh, so PhoneBooth is uh, this, you know, service in the cloud, and and you typically would buy a desk phone, which we're saying is dead. So then the obvious sort of next step here, obviously we've gone off and done, uh, I've gone off and done Republic Wireless, is to make Republic Wireless, and Republic Wireless leans on phone booth. It makes a lot of sense to think of Republic Wireless or or just a, a mobile device as the front end of phone booth. I think that's sort of the end game here. That's kind of where it all goes. Uh, so I think that's uh, that was a very prescient point. It's kind of kind of right along the lines of what we were thinking about already. So I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, um, so I th- I thought uh, obviously, you know, we talked about this the last show that I think the uh you know, I've got a some Cisco 7940 something or other sitting here and I probably use it for one out of every 20 phone calls I make. Yeah, you use it. That's better maybe, than me. Maybe that and that's really just because it's for I use it for conference calls a lot of the time. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's but the I, only I, thing that they're good for. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I you know, the the I, so I've got one. I've got a Cisco seventy nine sixty or whatever in the other room, and it's got a layer of dust and probably cat hair. And then I've got the Polycom Soundpoint, whatever it is, uh, also an IP phone. It looks like a traditional you know conference phone, and it works great as a conferencing device. But I gotta say, like the 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 UI on the desk phone is all wrong. The only piece of that that's that you could possibly consider correct is the handset. Something that you can put up against your face and only you hear it and whatever you right. say into it is is very, you know, clear. Uh, everything else, the dial pad, that used to be a great UI, that's gone because yep. nobody types numbers anymore. You 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 pick contacts, you don't type numbers. That's what yep. the the cell phone has done. So what else is there? There's a screen with some kind of hokey interface. These soft buttons, these you know call out buttons on the side, and and then there's always like so, a, a strange you know rack of different color buttons that 
who knows what they do. There was always that uh, old phone system, I guess it was Nortel, that had, uh, you know, RCL, this button that was like RCL or, or RLS, I think it was. And, and that stands for release. Who knows what this does? So I'm sitting there and I try it and it hangs up my call. It's like, great. Now I have a big orange button that does what I normally do by putting the, the, the handset down. It just made no sense in the world. So the button's UI nightmare, it was just a disaster and it just never, it basically failed out of the starting gate and never launched. I don't think, I don't think any UI on the phone after the, uh, dial pad, the, you know, 12 digit dial pad, uh, was any good. I mean, yeah, it's, I agree. I'm I'm just sitting here looking at my Cisco phone, and it's got like an envelope for mail right. for my voicemail, and it's actually more than voicemail because it's, you know, there's all there's like six entries for every button you hit, yeah, and uh, and then you hit the book entry, and you know, I get a list of. Uh, things that takes me forever to find, and then there's a menu thing that it doesn't really look like a menu, and yeah, yeah it's just it's so poorly done. You gotta and, force yourself through that interface, and I mean it's it's uh, so you you can pass it off as one of two things, like design down from the top that's been you know hoisted upon us because in the old school you used to be able to program these these quick dial numbers so you just have a button you press a button and it calls bob or whatever it is so those things were a it's a hand down from that because everybody had those you know quick dial buttons and then suddenly you had this centrally managed uh you know company that wanted to update the phone list on everybody's phone all in you know one second so the way you do that is you kind of force it through this hokey interface so i i don't so you know, it's clearly not the way a rational thinking human being would use a phone. It's basically built for an administrator who, who gives you a, you know, 500 page document on how the phone works that sits right next to the phone. And that's somehow okay. So I think this is, you know, it's certainly ripe for disruption, so much disruption that I think the desk phone completely disappears. And the only thing that's left is a speakerphone. Because it's the only other piece of that thing that that outdoes my cell phone. No cell phone speakerphone is as good as a as a you know a little polycom whatever on the desk. Right. Um, yeah. If you so if you look at the evolution of the mobile handset, I think you can probably. Uh, I don't know if you can make a direct correlation to the evolution of the desk handset, but the mobile handset used you know it used to be just the bunch of buttons and a very small screen, much like these Cisco things are. Yeah. And that's been replaced now by, you know, the iPhone and Android stuff. That's all just touchscreen. It's all screen and no buttons. It's all, really. it's all screen and no buttons. Yeah. The Android obviously has the button, you know, the buttons at the bottom, but and so um, that are off screen. But um, that's true. But I don't think of that as a button. I, but you, I, yeah, just, yeah. But you, but you know what? There, there is a time for a real button because look on the side of the iPhone. There is a physical volume up and a physical volume down. That's because right. that's so important. A dedicated button is a necessity. Yeah. Because um, remember the old iPods? They didn't yep. have that. That's the right. Old iPods, the volume up and down was by the wheel, and I always hated that. Yeah, I agree because you always had to. It depended on what part where of you the, were. Uh, yeah. yeah, you couldn't just so, make it shut up outside of 
like pulling the headphone jack or something. That's always like I go back to think about, you know, like in the 90s when stereo systems were these, you know, these different pieces and they're all kind of big and they're very specialized and they had their, you know, you had your big amp and then you had your equalizer and then your sources, your CD player, whatever it was. But the the most predominant control on the entire face of everything on that stereo volume. was the volume. Yep, and it's, it's the big button on the right thing. or the big wheel yeah. on the right. So if if you start playing something and it's way too loud and it starts to blow away, you immediately jump. You don't have to think; it was just there. So yeah. I I think that's uh, you know I think that's actually a weakness of the old iPods. Yeah, um, I agree because I found it so frustrating. You'd be in the wrong part of the application and you'd crank the wheel and something, and you could never, you know, you had to think about, oh, I've got to get back get to it, this yeah, screen. Exactly. Yeah. Who needs um, to know that? Yeah. Yeah. So in that yeah, way, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the iPhone actually improved. Obviously, obviously improved in a number of ways, but the, and we talked about this the last show where. So few people, I, I've been in lots of, you know, I spend some amount of time in office buildings and anymore. It's just rare that, you know, people use their desk phone. Usually they walk into the office on their cell phone and yeah. if they've got to make a call, they make it on their cell phone because yeah. that's where all their contacts are. It's where all their voicemail is. It's where all the texts are. It's, it's, it's everything I've ever done to communicate with yeah. somebody is more than likely on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> if well, I need so, to look. And so... so yeah, go ahead. So that's a function of the fact that you know you've got your contact on your phone, but it I think it might also be a function of the fact that making calls is so cheap now. It doesn't matter if you make your business calls on your personal cell phone outside of the fact that the phone number is going to be your personal cell phone. Yeah, I agree. You know, because you're almost always calling someone else's mobile and uh, and, and every carrier anyway. is free mobile to mobile care as yeah. free mobile calling now. So you're almost never paying. You're paying for overseas calls yeah. and you're paying to call somebody's landline yeah. or you're in minutes. Yeah. And so I there's a lot of times when I've got both you know, both numbers for somebody, I will call their mobile because it's a free call. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah, incredible. So it's completely, yeah. it's, it's com- backwards. The behavior is completely transformed yeah. in the last, really in the last three years, I would say. Yeah, it really has. Really because has. Just be- and I think it's uh, mainly because the mainly, devices have gotten so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and driven by the iPhone. Got to give yeah. it to Apple that they set the standard in 2007. Yeah. They really did. Yeah, they absolutely um, did. So, uh, so this has got to be this is the design show. We're talking about design topics here, in terms of you know UI on phones. But I gotta tell you, easily the best UI I've seen in an iPhone app or an iOS app is Path. Have you messed yes. with this at all? I haven't. Uh, I've read it. I've seen a bunch of people talking about it online. I just haven't had the chance to get around to it. So tell us, uh, tell us about what it does and uh, how you use it and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, gosh. So this is this is. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. It's beautifully done. I, I will admit, I am a sucker for beautifully designed apps. Three come to mind. Path, of course. There's another app called Convert, which just converts from miles to kilometers and all this kind of thing, um, which is just beautifully beautifully done the care and feeding that was done on that app is just stellar and the other one is tweetbot are you familiar with tweetbot no so this is a, this is a uh, it's a twitter client and it's just so beautifully done at you know there's tiny little sounds in the in the you know ui just it's it, they put a lot of attention to detail and i gotta say well there are probably other maybe more featured full-featured uh, apps out there, it's definitely showing a trend where, 
you know, I, I, I really love beautiful things, beautifully designed things. And it really, it's just so good that, you know, that's the interface I want to be in. So right, path so talk is about just path. like that. Yeah. yeah. So path, uh, it's very interesting. Path is effectively Facebook without the privacy issue. So it's really, really personal Facebook. So imagine in your path, I think you're actually limited to 150 people anyway in path, but the way, the way I would use it, you know, my brothers, a couple of very close friends, a few, a few people here and there, and that's it. People I would be comfortable with saying, I'm leaving the house now to go to X, Y, or Z or, or whatever. Things I would never say on Facebook. I know some people are pretty avid about posting their, their uh, location and uh, telling people when they're out of town. I can't imagine, you know, that they've ever had a problem with, uh, with uh, you know, security yet because certainly if they have, they would never do that. Right. Uh, would be my guess. But, you know, who knows? The new generation, and maybe they're a lot more comfortable with sharing their, uh, sharing their location. Um, in any case, Path is, is scoped so closely and, and geared so, so much toward sharing photos and videos that you would take on your iPhone or Android that, you know, it's kind of this thing that's just always, you know, always with you. And, and, when you take that just really great shot of that Christmas tree you just got and you, you use some kind of a camera filter that makes it look like it was shot in 1974 and has sat in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a drawer somewhere and just has that like old rustic feel or whatever, you know, it just allows you to kind of do creative things, kind of like Instagram really inside a, uh, uh, a Facebook type app. But then you can just post them as, uh, as a, a stream that, you know, only those people consume, not the rest of the world. Yeah. So, so tell me about, because obviously I can, I can prevent, uh, if I post on my Facebook wall, assuming that I haven't friended, you know, people I don't care about, yeah. then the whole world's not going to see that either. So, uh, I assume you will, with you path, to bet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. That's why I don't, that's why I don't share. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, so the talk last to time, me, when was the last time you shared something on Facebook? Uh, directly. Yeah, like um, like use there. You posted something on Facebook and put it that way. Um, I think it was uh, probably two weeks ago. I had this really? video that I, for some reason, I wanted to. Sh- oh, I know, I wanted to share with a particular person, and I didn't have their email address. Oh yeah. And so I, I went in there and sent somebody a message. But uh, as to writing on my wall. Yeah, writing on your wall. Yeah, I don't ever do it because yeah. I only use Twitter, and I just yeah. have Twitter that posts to both and. And so I never go to Facebook and it's actually a, at times I miss stuff, you know, that I probably would like to see, but that's yeah, not, but it's just another not, day. like farm. Yeah. Farmville and all that crap. It's just yeah, not worth it. Everybody's to mafia yeah, wars. Like, so, so here's the thing though. I think the last thing I posted was that I got married. Right. Uh, that, that was, was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. But, uh, so what I, what I was hoping for is some kind of thing that's like, this is really important. To separate it from the I had, you know, ham and eggs for breakfast. I just don't care. Yeah, and- so, okay, so how about, well, here's a better analogy then, uh, because Path isn't Google Groups doing what Path is doing. Yeah, because I can share is. only with a subset on Google Groups. Yeah, it or, is. but or it's, not Google Groups, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, plus. Google Plus, um, sorry. It's not as, I, I would argue it's not quite as, uh, as understandable for, for the every man. 
And I agree, so it I hasn't agree with been that used for sure. that way. So it's not, yeah. an, they haven't figured out the user interface pieces yeah. of that yet. Yeah. They're not really, I mean, I got to say, outside of Google Maps, they really don't lead on the UI. No, it's rare. It's, it's yeah, really it's rare. Nice. And the, the and we're kind of, we're going all over the place, but it's all yeah, about really the same are. kind of stuff. It's but all UI. Yeah. The, <laughs> the thing I, you know, they just made these changes to mail and to calendar. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, I'm dying, and, dude. It's killing me. I, yeah, and it's just the calendar changes killed me because yeah. I had, I had set up, you know, I do a lot of stuff and I do I, I do it. I work in a number of different venues, and so my calendars I had all color coded. Yeah, and you know, when I add something to my calendar, I'll say, okay, this is a revenue opportunity, so I'll mark, you know, I'll color it green or right. whatever. Sure, right? And so I can quickly look at my calendar and say and see how the week looks. Um, and say, oh well, I've got some, I've got some holes this week where you know I, it doesn't look like I'm generating a lot of money for the company or whatever. And yeah. so when they went to these horrid pastel colors, yeah, um, <laughs> you lose it all. Yeah, it's just all sort of blends together. Yeah, and I don't get the contrast. And I made the the fateful mistake when they first turned it on in my account. You know, you have that switch at the bottom yeah. that says, I don't like it, turn it back. Yeah. And I made the fateful mistake of, of not doing that. Yeah, closing the Xbox. Never see it. <laughs> you can't never go see it. it yep. That's, you know, you know I mean, so, so the way to do that, I guess, is to use, a, a, you know, an app that runs locally on your machine. That's really yeah. the only way to really control that stuff because it'll yeah. always, it was just always going to change. Yeah, but the, so. but path, so, um, so I guess uh, the, the, what I'm assuming is if I use Path, I've got to get you used to use Path before I can share something with yeah, you. Yeah, right? that's true. Right. So you have that. You have that barrier. That's an obstacle. That's true. But generally, uh, for your buds, your close guys, or whatever, you're going to be able to say, "Dude, get this." Yeah. You need to get it. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't. You I don't. Friend know. me up. Let's go. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's going to happen when we hang up. When we when we get done with this show. Sounds good. All I, right. I will have I will have Path on my iPhone within two minutes. Sounds good. Um, so talking about design, Steve Jobs book. So you've read the the Steve Jobs biography. I have. Um, I read it uh, cover to cover. Yeah. So I so let me just quickly throw my, out my con- comments and then you and then you can you can roll. This book reminded me of somebody of my parents' generation who still does not use a computer, does, that does not understand the primary drivers of what's going on. I mean, I'll give you a case in point. One of the things that was said was, you know, this computer had higher latency, so it was better, and it did this. And I'm like, well, last time I checked, you know, latency is a bad thing. You don't want to wait, right? right? So why is more latency? He just doesn't understand the very most basic things. So my complaint on this book was you had this brilliant opportunity this uh, this basically unguarded access to Steve Jobs to ask him what whatever you wanted to ask him and because you didn't know the technology and understand the primary drivers under things he blew the opportunity because all of the so there's sort of a line in the middle of the book it's kind of pre return to return to apple and post return to apple Okay. The pre-return to Apple, it was all scoured from existing material. There's like nothing new there. All stuff yeah. that was you, that was something that you and I have you've kind of regaled me with details of of this before, and so I for for me some of that was new because I hadn't studied the uh, the pre-return stuff uh, yeah. nearly as heavily as you. I hadn't watched the movie. I hadn't done. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so all of that sort of stuff was was good information for me. But I can see why for you that the first you know. 
two thirds of the book was basically not interesting or half of it. Well, I but mean, I, you know, it was, it was fun to kind of to, to roll down the road of remembering all these old computers and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it, you, there wasn't much new, but the problem there was then the, the post return to Apple stuff where, where a lot of it was new. Uh, most of it was new, I would say from what mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Uh, I have the same worry that, you know, where did that come from? Did, was it like just way off target? And the fact of the matter is, you know, this is this guy, it's fine not to be a technical guy. That's fine. Right. But if you're going to write a book about somebody who worked in technology, at least be, learn your ABCs about technology and understand what, you know, what the general constraints are. You don't have to know how to program, but you do have to know, uh, you know, about the primary parts of the products that you're talking about. You have to know that. And because he didn't have that, he either didn't have the right questions to ask or he didn't understand the answers if they were given. Because he, he couldn't pick out what was important. So I worry that, you know, a lot may, may have been said and we just missed it. So Yeah, see, I thought it's interesting that you say all that and I'd love to hear the specific examples um, because I didn't, you know, I I tend to not ex- not go through all the and excoriate all the details of a particular piece of text and I know you're much more prone that way so um, <laughs> and I don't mean that as a bad thing yeah. I just tend to gloss over more um, yeah. and so uh, because I think for me this was uh, the book the purpose of the book was it was a human interest book I think primarily more uh-huh. than it was a you know is this technically accurate kind right, of but, thing? And so, so, but I, but having said that, I still get your point that you are yeah. talking about a guy that um, changed the landscape of computing, um, and and so to not, it would be like you know going to uh, interview Abraham Lincoln and not understanding politics or something sure, like that. You know, exactly. so it's so it's but, that I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. I just didn't I didn't get that vibe from the book, but I also wasn't reading it you know, with an eye toward it being technically accurate. I was much more interested in the story of, uh, you know, how he transformed uh, Pixar and how he, and, you know, and the story of how he came up with the ideas for the iPhone and just kind of, I guess, so for me, I read it more as, you know, here's the story of this guy's life and here's all the, and it, it, the book I felt humanized him and, you know, for all of us that sort of sit from afar and never had the chance to meet him and never had the chance to work for him, you got, I felt like I got a real sense of what he was like as a person. Yeah. Well, so. And so I think for me, that's kind of how I read the book. Is, uh, I, I can uh, who is this guy like? I can um, understand know. that. But here's, here's my problem. And it, it certainly is a frolic to, to, to listen to the stories of, you know, the wild su- success at Pixar and, and these. Yeah, absolutely. But the problem is. You know, if if you if you just read the book, then you find you think that Steve Jobs, you know, was uh, was an ultra demanding, like you know, just an, just a horrible person at times, and you know, just like you know, had two sides to him, like like half of the other people in Silicon Valley, they're sure. all like that. But right. Steve Jobs was was you know, w- drastically higher cut above anyone on his level there. He was just such a high cut above anybody else. That difference, I don't think the author understood and therefore couldn't articulate. So at the end, I'm just left with Steve Jobs with this really annoying person that made great products. 
Yeah, like, but well, so here's what I think. I think that he was, and this is just my take after reading the book, and I think that he probably, because you can read the first, like the accounts of him with his family, if you read that part of it, yeah, like, man, this guy was a, just a jerk. Yeah. I mean, he didn't take care of his daughter. Yeah. You know, he didn't really engage with the, with the, with the kids that he had later in life. You know, he's kind of this, like, if you read those parts of it, you're like, this guy was just an arrogant ass. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a part of that is true. Yeah. Right. Because that's, but I think what, if you read about, you know, great people in history and I, and I'm not suggesting that he's, you know, he's conquered, you know, other countries or anything like that, but you, the people that, um, <laughs> You know, the people that are great um, at what they do and great on a level that, you know, one to two others may achieve. Yeah. They, there's something about them that they don't tolerate people that aren't, that don't get it like they do. And I think that was really what I took away because I started halfway through the book. I, I, I've started to think, man, I don't know why anybody liked this guy <laughs> yeah. uh, because that was, that was how it read. It's yeah. like, you know, why would anybody have ever worked for why, this right. guy? Why would they ask him back too? Yeah. And yeah. so, and the, so there must've been more to it. And the, I think the more to it had to have been that there were times when you couldn't imagine not being around him. Yeah. Right. So there were the times, you know, if you were, if you were Johnny Ives or whatever, and there were probably times when he walked into that office and just, you know, ripped up one side and down the other. Yeah. And then there were those, there was the other times that were probably as, as many or greater where they were in a room and were, you know, figuring out the design of the iPhone. And it was just an unbelievable experience. Yeah, that firing on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, that you couldn't get with anybody else. Sure, sure. And, and you know, you and I have had those experiences, obviously, on a much lesser level where you get into these. Yeah, and these you're rooms, like, yeah, sure. And it, and it doesn't, you know, it's for people that do what we do, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Uh, when you're in that kind of thing. And I've been around people that are not tolerant when I didn't get something that they were trying to say. Yeah. And so I've worked for those kind of people. And what it does is that you feel like an idiot, first of all, because you're yeah. like, okay, this guy clearly understands something on a level I don't. But it, what it does is it pushes you to understand it the next time. Mm-hmm. So that when you're in the meeting with that guy the next time and he brings something up, now you're talking on the same level. Yeah. And you're, so I have, to, game yeah, I have to believe that that's what he brought to the people that worked for him that's and worked with true, him. That's certainly true, but it also then required of them such a tough skin that yep. only a certain precious few really got through. And that had this good mix of like great creative ideas and able to uh, you know, withstand a barrage from Steve Jobs. And I have to believe that uh, on some level, those people probably could give it back. Yeah. You know, once you got to a certain they could, point. They could, actually. Yeah, you, like there's you some had, video. You had that. the freedom to just call him an idiot and tell him yeah. why he was. Yeah, and if he sat back and thought about it for five minutes and said, "Oh yeah, you're right, I was being an idiot." Yeah, and so it was. Pro- it's as I thought. So anyway, halfway through the book, I thought this guy's a you know a complete idiot. Yeah, and then by the end of the book, I was you start to get the sense of oh I get it. He's yeah. just he's a guy that it, he couldn't have done what he did and tolerated. You know, just sort of people showing up for work and working, you know, and doing mediocre work and, um, and being, you know, churning out the next version of something. Yeah. 
that just wasn't who he was, and he wasn't going to have people around him that thought like that. Yeah, and that's, so that's kind of what I where I ended up with the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I can understand that. Yeah. So makes anyway. Sense. So what do you think of on a, on a similar topic? And I know. Uh, Here's my so there's this school of there's two competing schools of thoughts about you know how you build things at least two yeah and so you've got the Steve Jobs camp where every you know everything you make has to be just first rate yeah it's got to be perfect mm-hmm. and then you've got and it's got to be and you don't really care about what anybody says about it because you know it's right mm-hmm. and then you've got kind of this other school of thought where Release early, uh, release early. Really, yeah, you do. You know, it's kind of you kind of throw things out there and see what yeah. people think. And it's still you have some combination of uh, you know customer feedback plus your vision sort of evolves the product. Yeah. And I never get the sense. I mean, if you look at the iPhone, the iPhone just came out. Yeah. There was, he didn't. He didn't go solicit customer. He talks about. Yep. They talk about that in the book. That it was just yep. like how they don't know what they want. I'm going to show them what they want. Sure. And. And obviously, there's not many people that can probably get away with that. But I'm curious to get your thoughts just before we wrap up on just those two competing ways of going about things and what you think. I think there's good and bad in both. I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, there certainly is good and bad in both. And I think certain ones apply better to certain situations than others. Uh, Surely in a project that can be... Uh, you know, easily updated, say, for example, a website or, you know, an HTML5 site or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the uh, quick iterative uh, approach can be, can be very useful. Uh, on a hardware product like a, a phone or whatever is something that it's very costly to update. Then I think the, the trend probably goes in a different direction. Where this becomes interesting is the fact, certainly with the iPhone, that it's both. You know, you have a, a, a software component and, and a hardware component. Uh, right. You've you you know the same could be said for for cloud services that use some piece of a hardware. Uh, so it, it becomes this balancing act. It's also the dichotomy between something like an Apple that tends to just release things fully formed out of the imagination of, you know, some top tier thinkers and, and here it is and it's great versus uh, a Google, which would throw data at the problem. Right. Like, but you, the fact of the matter is you do need both. Like Google isn't going to suddenly have Android, you know, full screen glass touch phone, like their galaxy Nexus, the new phone that they got. They're not just going to, that didn't just appear. That started because, really, because of the iPhone, because pre the iPhone, all Android devices looked like Blackberries, right? Clearly, that came from there. The iPhone came out, and suddenly they all started looking like (laughs) iPhones. So, therefore, there is this good idea that kind of gets sucked in, and then it just gets iterated and iterated. And Google is one, you know, that they trying 47 different shades of blue in the in the gmail yeah, absolutely. to figure whatever yeah. it is out right so so they'll use design to to they'll they'll really try to bring boil design down to the numbers and i in a ui i am not of the camp that thinks that's the best way to go because that is the best way to end up with a pc where you check all the boxes you cross all the t's dot all the i's you have the feature list you know from from you know the greatest feature list in the world but then you totally miss the mark because 
it, having all those features, A, there's a downside to having too many of them, and B, people may not have wanted them. So, yeah. so I really do think it really comes down to the question is, do you, do you value designers? Do you value what a designer does? Are you going to, like if working in Google as a designer, they're going to ask you, you know, there's a couple of blog posts about this years ago about how this one guy went into Google as a designer and he said, it should be this way. And they said, prove it. And he said, I can't work like that. You either believe me and right. do it or you don't. I'm yeah. either I'm going to sink or swim on whether or not I'm right, and yeah. I, that's how I've made my you know my thing, and and so it does need both. It, not, the designer alone is not good because he needs checks and balances, and the design by the numbers or, or throw data at it doesn't work either because you don't get the new ideas. So you do need a mix. The question really isn't one side or another. It's really how much of one versus the other do you have? And I would argue Apple has the same kind of thing internally, although we don't see it. Yeah, and you tend to only see the finished product from yeah. them. You don't see all of the the iterations from you yeah. know I, from its first idea. I think the different and those two companies I think exemplify the the different approaches really well. And those were the ones I was thinking about because yeah. you sort of you get this. You know, Google is much more of a platform company in terms of you know they've got this huge behemoth engine that they can really just put just about anything on top of and start to gather data and understand user behavior. And they can do that quickly. They can put something out. They know that a million people will sign up for it within the first hour yeah. if they put it out there. And they know that within three days, they're going to have meaningful feedback and data about how users interacted with the system. Yeah. And then they're going to go back and they're going to you know crank that through their algorithms and they're going to come up with the next set of things based on whatever that data shows them. Yeah. And I think that's that's it's certainly it's 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 a much more of a and I I wrote about this book but I there's a book called I'm feeling lucky it's this yeah. guy, Google employee 59 he kind of talks about how development works at Google and it really is an engineer centered approach as yeah. you would I mean the the founders there were you know um just they were top-notch engineers, and so they approach every problem as an engineer would. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, not everyone, but certainly that's their bent. Uh, you know, does the data support it? To your, you know, the, the what you talked about, and you know, do we have data? If not, let's go get some. Yeah, um, let's use that to drive, not you know, into not necessarily intuition, but on the but with those guys, what was interesting for me in that book in particular, and then we'll close out is. Um, is that they had the same kind of uh, the same kind of moxie about what they thought was right as Steve Jobs did? Uh -huh. Like there were times when everything told them to do one thing and they did the other, yeah, and ended up being right, yeah. And it was just you know they just knew what they knew, and they weren't going to be told any differently, yeah. And so I think that's uh, that for me is. It's really interesting to think about this stuff as you try to build a product. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So I go out and get, you know, how early do I get customer feedback? And and it's what's what's been interesting for me after reading the Jobs book is that the really good stuff is the stuff that you care most about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not the thing that you start out and say, well, I, I think this idea will make me $5 million. Yeah. It's the thing that you start out and say, I can't imagine doing anything other than this. Yeah. And sometimes those turn into money, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. But those are the great ideas. Yeah, totally agreed. So. Totally agreed.
Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll uh, we'll be back on hopefully a little later this week, uh, if not next week. And uh, thanks for listening to Three Fifty Third.